You're well? Good, good, good. So if you didn't hear uh, when Brad was speaking before about the uh, church picnic on the 10th of March, uh, please come along. Uh, it's going to be part of us saying farewell. We want to do a bit of stuff together, have a bit of fun together, play a bit of sport. If you can't play cricket, that's fine. Brad has many spaces on his cricket team. For those of you who struggle, everyone else can come with me. Um, it, but it's just not about playing cricket and it's just not about winning. It's about having some fun together. So, you know, bring a frisbee and a footy and, and all that sort of stuff or just bring a chair and become part of the commentary team. Um, you're most, most welcome. So we'd like for as many of us to come and have a good old time together as possible. So please feel free. So Daniel chapter 6, this is arguably one of the most famous Bible stories of all time. Daniel and the lion's den, I'm sure that you've heard the story, heard some iteration of the story um, of how God miraculously saved this man from being thrown into a pit or a den of hungry lions. So we're going to have a, a look at this story and we're going to see what it says for us for today. What do we take from this story? There's not all that many pits of lions left anymore and certainly most of us will never find ourselves in one of those uh, lions pits but there is some profound truth in this story um, for us today. So let's have a look. Daniel chapter 6 and we'll start here. Daniel and the lions den. Darius, so we've got a new king now, so Nebuchadnezzar's gone, his son is gone, and now we've got this new king. Darius reorganized his kingdom. He appointed 120 governors to administer all parts of his realm. Over them were three vice-regents. So he's got 120 guys who, who govern, and those 120 come back and speak to three. And then those three speak to the king. The governors reported to the vice-regents who made sure that everything was in order for the king. But Daniel, brimming with spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice-regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. So yet again, we're, we're sort of taught and we're shown that Daniel was a brilliant, brilliant man. He wasn't just a spiritual man. He wasn't just an intellectual man. He was a guy who had immense capacity to be able to, to run things, to rule things, to look after things. He was a good leader, an intelligent man. He was a good leader and everybody who seems to meet him seems to come to very, very similar conclusions. This is an incredibly capable individual. So that's Daniel. Even with a new king, he's here and he's setting himself apart. So Scholars and theologians say that Daniel's around 80 to 90 years old at this point. So he's, a, he's an old man, especially in those times with viruses and all this. Stuff. He was a guy who's lived a long time. So 80 to 90 years old. And so even as an older man, he's able to excel amongst the younger guys. He's able to step up and find himself uh, a place within the leadership. The problem with that is, as you excel and as you get better at things, generally, people around who are not so secure, they don't tend to find that a very good thing, do they? Have you ever been in a situation where you're smashing it, you're doing really well, you're doing exceptionally well, and the people around you start to speak about you? Do you know what I'm talking about? They start saying things about you. They start making things up about you. Maybe they don't tell you things so that you don't know the full story when you walk into a meeting 
or when you go to try and do something, they don't tell you something and then you end up looking silly or you end up looking like a fool. This was Daniel's story. The other regents, the other people who were important, the others who were threatened, they begin a process and they start to say that Daniel was not a very good man and that they start to work out ways in which that they can plot against him. Verse 4 tells us that they were looking for some corruption against Daniel. He must do something wrong. He's, he's only human, but he didn't have any. Daniel lived this kind of lifestyle that we've been speaking about. It's been kind of a consistent theme right the way through Daniel. He lived this fasting lifestyle. And this fasting lifestyle allowed him to have some clarity. It allowed him to remain sharp and present even though he was surrounded by delicacy, even though he was surrounded by things that would take his attention and his focus away, Daniel said no to those things and he lived a very simple life. Very simple life. This allowed him a clarity like no one else around him had. Daniel made wise and good decisions and he made a lot of them for a very long period of time. So the others decide instead of trying to find something on him, instead of that, they would make something up. So they appeal to the king's vanity and they say to the king, you're the greatest king, you've just taken over Babylon. We want you to be worshipped and cared for because in those days, emperors were not just kings as we see a queen. They believed themselves to be descendants from gods. So they were the gods on earth. They were incarnated gods. And so they demanded worship because they needed to know that they were gods. So they said, how about we all bring in this process of you being worshipped and anyone who doesn't worship you or anyone who worships another god, then we will throw them into the lion's pit. And the king says, that's a great idea. That's how important I am. Let's do that. And these other vice regents knew that Daniel prayed three times a day and they knew that Daniel was not going to not pray. So they knew that by putting in place this decree, they were in essence opening up the lion's den to throw him in to have him dead, killed, so that they then could take over. The threat for them was gone so that they felt more secure. The king signs it into place and away we go. Daniel 6.10, when Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he continued to pray just as he had always done. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising his God. So Daniel works out what's going on. He works out exactly what's happening. And the Bible tells us that he goes up to his his room, opens his window, as he always did, and he began his daily rhythm of prayer. So I was thinking about this. And I thought, how do we best illustrate what's going on here? And this was the best way that I could do that. That's a picture of someone on a stand-up paddleboard. And behind them is a very, very large wave. I I don't know if you've surfed very much. I had a very brief (laughs) um, flirt with surf. Uh, I went and bought everything that I needed to buy, squeezed myself into a wetsuit. It was not pleasant at all. Believe you me. <laughs> went in, we lived out at Mindari at the time, and, and uh, I'm surfing away. And I get on this wave, I'm surf- paddling, paddling, paddling. I get on this wave, I think this is a good one. And as I'm sort of getting picked up, because you can feel the wave pick you up, I look down, and there's no water. It's just sucked back up, and all I can see is sand 
and broken bones ahead of me. And this thing just picked me up and just flopped me into the ground. I heard all sorts of crunching sounds and there were a lot of noises. And then as the water came back, I was tumbling around and around. It's a surreal experience because you literally don't know which way is up and down. And so then I felt this thing go really tight on my leg and then I popped my head up, looked around and I could see this surfboard coming at me at a million miles an hour. That was it for me and surfing. That was the end of my... uh, That was the end of my surfing career. But there's this sense of smallness and this immense thing behind you. And it's this inevitability that comes pouring out for you. Daniel knows full well what the king's signing of that petition means. And he knows full well that his other vice regents are out to take his life. They want him gone. So in the midst of this immense force behind him in the midst of knowing that this is a decision about life and death his literal life and death daniel 6 10 b tells us that daniel gave thanks to his god just as he had done before so think about that for just a moment i sat here for a while i thought god if this was me and there are times when You know, you've gone into meetings or you've gone into things at work or whatever it is and you know people don't like you or you know people want something different than what you want. And you walk in and you sit down and you know there's going to be some sort of tension, some sort of confrontation, some sort of issue or problem. What sort of prayers do you pray? Are they prayers that are, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Or are they prayers that, God... I know my thing is right and that person is terrible or bad or, or, or whatever it is and get rid of them and instill my will, my desire, what I believe is best because that is what I want to happen. Daniel's not praying angry prayers. He's not praying war prayers. He's not praying revenge prayers. These guys have done the wrong thing. They are literally trying to take him out. It's assassination. By nothing else, it's like taking him out. Yet Daniel, we're told, gives thanks to God as he had always done. This guy's character is unbelievable. His capacity to trust in God, his capacity to believe in God, even in the midst of incredible opposition and personal danger, is something worthy of a story in the Bible that we can come back to again and again and again and again and that is why this story is in this book that is what god wants us to be able to understand as we go through life as we do our day to day there is going to be adversity as you live in a marriage relationship there will be adversity as you live as a parent of a child there will be adversity as you live as an aunt or an uncle or a pseudo parent of another child at school wherever it is there will be adversity There will be people that stand against you and use all the capacity and power and might that they have coming up behind you and they will use dirty, sneaky, rotten tricks to try and take you out. God wants you to know that in the midst of these things, we can give thanks and pray for the goodness of God. Daniel 6, 13 and 14. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of your exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. 
your majesty or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed and he, determined, he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. The king loves Daniel. The king wants Daniel to be a part of his kingdom. The king's starting to work out that he has been tricked. And now the king's trying to do something about it. Isn't it interesting that everyone in the court knows Daniel's routines and rhythms? Everyone in the court knows that Daniel prays three times a day. Everyone who he works with has this understanding that there is something unique and special and different about this guy and that he will, like clockwork, go off and begin his rhythm of prayer and engaging with God. Speaks to his character, doesn't it? And the king knows that something terrible is about to happen. Now this is... um, probably the most famous painting of Daniel in the lion's den. It's by a guy called Sir, P- Sir Peter Paul Rubens, uh, and it's called Daniel in the lion's den, interestingly enough. But you start to see a picture of this young man in the lion's den, this young guy in there surrounded by these, uh, these wild animals. It's actually, unfortunately, not really the case. Um, this was painted in 1614, and I tried to find a value for it, and I, it would have to be over $100 million this worth. The reason I put that up there is because the picture of the hole in the ground is probably realistically what the lion's den was. It was generally a hole in the ground that had some sort of opening at the top that people could be lowered down in and out of. This picture is a picture of an older looking Daniel, which is probably more realistic to his age, but that's in a building. So kind of amalgamate the two things. So the king gives the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Daniel, we know that you believe in God. Daniel, we know you trust in your God. And Daniel, we know you serve your God. And we now hope that your God is as good as you believe that he is. What a testament to the life that that guy lived. I just remember the Jesus story. Remember what happened to Jesus when he died? And let's read this one together. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. So we, we know that when Jesus died, he's put into the tomb, the stone's put on there, a seal's placed on it to make sure that no one can tamper with it. Here we have Daniel going into this lion's den and we have Daniel who's in there and it's sealed. We have a pagan king who, who does not follow Daniel's God and we, this pagan king is so distressed at what has happened to him that he's going off and he's praying and he's not able to engage in his usual entertainment We know what entertainment means there. He's not able to do what he normally would do of an evening. Um, He's so distraught with what's going on with Daniel. Interestingly enough, doing some research on this passage, that the lions and especially the lion's den was perceived to be an ancient ancient culture. Ancient culture and literature was perceived to be, the, the lion was perceived to be somewhat of a chaos creature. 
the lion was this crazy chaos creature that was kind of unmanageable and, and something that on the land could just destroy you. And the lion's den, the pit, was perceived to be a version of the underworld where the chaos creatures ruled. And we see this man of order and this man of nobility get placed inside this place of chaos with these chaos creatures. These themes running through again and again. The natural order of things is about to get turned on its head as God intervenes supernaturally in this story. The night has happened. The king runs down in the morning to see And the king opens up and speaks to Daniel. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God the king's agitated and Daniel's calm Daniel's in this place of chaos and unrest this place of disorder we might say if we think back to our Genesis series he's in this place of disorder God's man is in a place of disorder and when God's man enters into the place of disorder he brings about order and the angel of God shuts the mouth of the lion's Things are as God wants them to be, even in the place of absolute disorder and chaos. We see pictures of Jesus. We see pictures of what Jesus did on the cross. We see pictures of resurrection. We see pictures of what can be for us in the chaos in our own lives, in the, 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 the underworld that we all carry around with us. There's this presence that can enter in and the mouths of the lions can be brought to to quiet and there can be peace even in the underworld and the king is excited and grateful king darius published his proclamation to every race color and creed on earth peace to you abundant peace i decree that daniel's god shall be worshipped and feared in all parts of my kingdom he is the living god world without end his kingdom never falls his rule continues eternally he is savior and rescuer he performs astonishing miracles in heaven and on earth he saved daniel from the power of the lions from then on daniel was treated well during the reign of darius and also following the reign of cyrus the persian so there's another king to come daniel is here his testament brings about this this king standing up declaring that daniel's god is the true god daniel's a slave and here he is living this life and the king stands up and declares the truth of who daniel's god is amazing story incredible story what do we do with it we don't generally have a lot of lines and we don't generally have a lot of lines dens that we get thrown into mahatma gandhi uh, an interesting man says this speaking about the book of daniel Mahatma Gandhi found much consolation in reading the book of the prophet Daniel in the Bible. Daniel was one of the greatest passive resistors that ever lived. And if you don't know Gandhi's story, he was a, an Indian man, went over to South Africa, learned to be a lawyer. 
in South Africa, he, he experienced apartheid in a very big way. Came back to India to start a practice and make money. He wanted to become a wealthy man. And in India, he started to see the colonialism that the, that the British government and that the British Empire had brought into India. And so Gandhi began this process of saying we need to resist this colonialism. And he said violence is not going to take us anywhere good. So Gandhi forged this trail as a non-violent uh, protester and sort of tried to rally and did in many ways rallied India to be able to stand up and fight for its own independence. And what he believed more than anything else was that violence encouraged more violence. And so in order to stop violence, he said somebody has to take the higher ground. Somebody has to hold on to themselves and somebody has to meet violence with love, meet violence with forgiveness. And for him, the book of Daniel is a great encouragement. Daniel was a man who was able to meet power with love, even in the midst of being thrown into the lion's den. He's able to find a way to be able to stand on his own two feet in the midst of incredible power and in the midst of incredible opposition coming against him. Daniel was able to do something that Gandhi has taken a hold of and said, this, there's something very true about this. So what do we do with that? How do we actually turn that into something that we can do in 2019 here for us? So what does it look like for us to, to start to respond to conflict and oppression in a different way? I think in order for us to be able to do that, we take a little bit of a, a leaf out of Daniel's book. Can we start with radical self-examination? If you are going to enter into conflict or if conflict is going to come about your life, um, if you don't know your story well, then chances are we tend to over-exaggerate and we tend to respond to violence with violence. And when I say violence, that can be physical, but it also can be verbal. And it also can be with our presence. Because you can offer someone your presence and love them, and you can shun them, which is an act of violence as well. So we generally tend to get threatened when somebody comes against us. When somebody has an idea that we don't like or that we don't want or they try and push our life in a different direction. If you don't know your own story, if you don't know how you respond to someone pushing you, then you will tend to respond from instinct. And if you're threatened, psychology tells us that we either fight, we either flight, we run, or we freeze. So once we get into these positions where we're backed into a corner and someone's coming after us, we either fight back with our mouths, with our presence, with our fists, or we run away, or we just shut down and become silent. If you don't know your own story, if you don't know how you react and respond when you're pushed and pressured, then you will tend to resort to your baseline instincts. Does that sound fair? Second thing is trusting in God. Um, and I don't mean that as a throwaway line. So we look at Daniel and we look at Daniel's capacity and ability to be able to hold himself in the midst of incredible oppression. And Daniel was able to do that because he had a faith and a trust in God that for him actually changed the way that he lived. He knew that no matter what happened to him, 
He was in God's hands. He was a part of God's plan. And for him, he was in the family and the fellowship and the friendship of God. So for Daniel, knowing that was this solid center. And from that place of solidity, he was able to step into situations, no matter what the situation was. And he had this solidness to him that he could keep on coming back to. It was almost like a tether for Daniel. Around his waist, he knew who he was. He knew that God loved him and he knew that he was part of something far, far bigger. And that allowed Daniel to step into very difficult situations with huge oppression and a lot of pressure. And Daniel knew, I know who I am and I know whose I am. And that gives me the capacity to be able to step into a situation and control my fight, flight or freeze response begin to see past my instinctual responses and start to act how I want to act instead of just gut responses, gut instincts. In order for us to, as parents, because I don't know about you, but for me with my children, when I'm asking them to do something and they say, Daddy, we love you so much, but we don't really want to go to bed now. Your kids do that? Mine do as well. And then that, that thought that I have of wanting to grab them and love them and shake them and make them do what I want, I'm reacting here because they're saying no to me. They're saying no to me. And their no to me, my insecurity rises. And when my insecurity rises, I want to take out the threat. If I don't have that tether around me, if I don't know who I am, then I'll tend to respond out of my gut responses. When I'm feeling against the rope and someone comes to me and they want something from me, my gut response is either fight, flight or freeze. If I'm able to know whose I am, if I'm able to know that my place is with God, that my salvation is in Him, that there's something real about Him, then I'm able to respond when I'm under pressure in far healthier ways. So the big question for us is, what's your lion's den? At what point and whereabouts are you frightened and afraid? What situations are you up against at the moment that feel like you're about to be thrown into a pit? Because if you're alive and you have relationships, then you will be countering or experiencing some part of a cycle of conflict with people. We generally, it's what we do, unfortunately. Because we have a will and they have a will and when those two wills come together... Something has to move and something has to flex and that tends to be a bit of a forward and backward dance. If you're not solid in yourself, if you don't know your story really well, if you don't know who God is and your place in God, then your gut responses and reactions will tend to be where you move from. So at, at where are you in that cycle at the moment in your friendships, in your relationships with your partner, with your children, with your boss? with your friends. Because we have this incredible story from Daniel where he was able to master these things. He was able to hold himself in the midst of his own physical life being put into danger. And his story is down for us so that we have something to follow. Because this stuff is very, very real. And we tend to make poor decisions when we're moving from our instincts. We tend to make decisions that hurt people and then hurt us later on as well. So Daniel gives us this amazing kind of hope of what can be, 
hope of what might be. And it allows us to know that we can have some level of self-mastery. We can have some level of trusting God and that can change who we are and how we react and respond to do what Daniel did. The miracle of this story is not so much the lions with their mouths shut, which is obviously a miracle. The miracle of the story is that Daniel facing incredible opposition, incredible opposition, was able to respond in love to people who were oppressing him. He was able to, to, to walk around with dignity and honor in a way that the people around him were amazed at. And that led to the king standing up and declaring something true and profound about the God that Daniel worshipped because of the character Daniel displayed. And that call and that challenge is still for us. We call that now bringing the kingdom of God into our workplaces, bringing the kingdom of God into our families, bringing the kingdom of God into our, our sporting clubs, our places of leisure. Because who we are declares something about who God is. Amen? Let's pray.